Hey folks, Gerald Kirk here, and I'm excited to share that this season of the Higher Ground Society podcast is supported in part by the Alabama Humanities Alliance, a state affiliate of the National Endowment of the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast episode do not necessarily represent those of Alabama Humanities Alliance or the National Endowment for the Humanities. Now, let's get to the show. I want to live free. I want to live free. Free from anger, hatred, and fear. I want to live free. I want all of my brothers. And welcome back to another episode of the Higher Ground Society podcast. I'm very excited because we're celebrating Black History Month. And I mean, you can't discuss Black history without our culture. You can't discuss our culture without our music. And so I'm so completely geeked to have two um, mentors of mine in the music world uh, here with me to discuss Black history in music. Um, that's Miss Dr. Powell and Miss Dr. Powell. <laughs> this is how we used to refer to them uh, at Auburn. But uh, hi, you two. Thank you for being on. <laughs> oh, thank you. We are so glad to be here with you. We're so proud of you, too. Oh, thanks. <laughs> we're excited for this journey that we're going to go on. That's right. It is yeah. a journey. Sure, sure. So, so we don't keep the people, you know, waiting too long. Let's just hop right in. Um, Doc, so I'm, I'm, just for the people again. So I want to refer to them as Dr. Powell and Miss Doc. Okay. Or, right? Is that good? That's what we can do. Yeah, okay. that's good. <laughs> so that's you guys great. know what I'm talking about. Or you can uh, say Miss, Mr. Doc and Miss Doc. That works. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to figure out a way to, to make that happen. So that works. Miss, wait, what did it say it again? Mr. Doc. Mr. Doc and Miss Doc. All right, let's, so y'all got it. Okay, here we go. That's our, our legend for the, <laughs> for the show. So Mr. Doc, by all means, would you please, uh, just, I want to get it to know who you guys, get to know who you guys are beyond the classroom. That's pretty much all I know. <laughs> uh, so yes, please tell us who, who are you? Well, uh, I was born and raised in America's Georgia. And I'm not going to tell you the year because then <laughs> I'd have to do something different here. But, uh, um, it, but I spent most, in fact, it, it, to date, uh, the majority of my life has been spent in Alabama. I went to school, undergraduate school at Alabama State University, which is where I met Rosephany. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I taught after going to other places, taught in uh, Alabama for a year, and then uh, Went to some other places, and then and I'm being general. I'm leaving those holes for Rosephany to fill in, and then um, <laughs> and then being here at Auburn since 2001, uh, uh, we've we've been here for what 20 years at this point. So um, yeah, uh, we we we've had quite a journey, and uh, the musical journey has been great. The life journey has been great, and uh, still learning, still growing. Yeah, Auburn Institution's here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I grew up in Alabama. I am from uh, Lynette, Alabama, which is on the border of Alabama and Georgia, mm -hmm. uh, next door to West Point, Georgia. So I went to school in Georgia, but I lived in Alabama because my parents taught in Georgia. Okay. So after I finished high school, I too uh, went to Alabama State University. As William said, we met there. 
Then I went to Westminster Choir College in Princeton while he went to Morgan State uh, in Baltimore. Then he joined me. We were dating by this time uh, at Westminster Choir College. We graduated. I began to teach at Georgia Southern University, where as William taught at Selma University uh, in Selma, Alabama. And then after that, we got married. And then he taught in, in Savannah, Georgia, at Savannah State in a public school there. And I, I continued to teach at Georgia State uh, University. And then we both went to work on our doctoral degrees at Florida State mm -hmm. uh, University. And from there we went to, I know William was like, that's too many details, but no, uh, this is at, great. <laughs> we went to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, where uh, William became director of choral activities there. And uh, I was a voice professor and I served as the assistant conductor to the Philander Smith Collegiate Choir, which he conducted. And we were there for how many years, William? We were there for eight years total. Yeah, so, and we, we, we got pregnant with our first daughter uh, there. And then that's when we made our way to uh, Auburn University in 2001. And we've been at Auburn. Uh, which is where we came to know you. We've been in Auburn, as William said, for 20 years now. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. I'm so glad you shared all that. I, I, get, I had no idea there was a stint at Selman University, which is, I only learned about Selman University working with the Bicentennial and we were working with the HBCUs of the state and learned that that was one of them. So, I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. And the fact that you both went to, I love this, an HBCU love story. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> School days. <Yep. laughs> I love that. Um, yep. Yep. I'm so glad you guys shared that. And hopefully we can revisit some of that as we continue to talk about um, some of these, uh, the things that I've, I've kind of drawn out for us. But I love the fact too, that you guys were kind of in each other's orbit, like all of your lives because America isn't that far from you know Lynette so right and as it you know and here's the backstory to that so while we officially officially met at Alabama State we actually first met when we were both involved you know I was in a boys quartet when I was in high school uh -huh. and we went to you know the solo and ensemble competition uh in uh Macon Georgia at uh Mercer University well Rosefne being a high schooler in Georgia like she explained uh, -huh. uh although a resident of Alabama her girls trio the trio that she was in uh went there as well, well we obviously recognized each or or identified each other because I was the only black person in the quartet and they were the only black females on that campus at that time for that competition and so as we passed each other we're like hey you know so we got to know each other you know you know introduced mm -hmm. uh at that point so that was kind of a prequel to our actual meeting so when we met at Alabama State and kind of backtracked and said oh yeah you were the one who was at yada yada and uh -huh. so so made that connection there that's beautiful. I love it. I can't wait for this movie to come out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, I love, I like that you, you brought up, you know, this quartet that you're in. That was one of the next things I was going to ask you about. How did both of you get your start in music? I, I feel like everybody just assumed that all Black folks know how to sing or involved in music somehow, <laughs> which there's maybe some truth to that, more or less. But how did you guys get your start in music? Well, uh, I'll go ahead and, and launch that off. I started out, I mean, I, there was this drive in me, I think as long as I can remember, where I always was drawn to, attracted to music, but I didn't have any tools or any uh, 
you know, any tutelage. Uh, as a young, 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 you know, person, and I remember as, as early as six years old going over to my godmother's house with my parents, and uh, she had an old, like, 9,000-pound upright piano in her in her front room, and so when they would be in there, you know, talking or doing whatever in the other room, I would be, my sister and I, I have an older sister, and uh, we would be in there waiting, trying to play, trying to do something, and I would just start clunking around on the piano, and after a point, I started picking out tunes and you know my godmother was like you know you should see you know, you know talking to my parents you should nurture this so well fast forward I got into the band in uh at sixth grade as sixth graders tend to do and I was like wow I have a very expensive thing in my hands that I can make music with but I really wanted to learn the piano and I kept begging my parents and finally uh you know they said okay well now that you're in high school we'll invest <laughs> we'll invest some money into an actual piano I'm like thanks I'm about to leave but that's fine and so um so I just crunched in as much time as I possibly I think I practiced my sister was telling me the other week how I just drove her nuts because I was on the piano all the time you know trying to make up for lost time and then uh so that's how I got started uh pretty much and there, there's a lot more to that but that's uh, I want to leave room for Rosephany because she's got a very interesting inter yeah, but <laughs> interesting a background. What uh, instrument do you play in band? I don't think I knew this. Uh, clarinet. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> so clarinet, piano. All right. Well, that's clarinet and piano, but we didn't get into voice for you though. So, or what well, is, well, is that more your, are you more instrumental and then? Yeah, I, I was more, I'm more, I am more instrumental. The other thing that I didn't include in the story was a friend of mine and I, when I, when he was a senior in high school, I was a junior. Well, actually back up. I was a sophomore. He was a junior. Uh, we started this uh, youth community youth choir and he was the one who stood up in front of the choir to conduct. And I was the one that sat at the piano and taught the parts and this, that, and the other. Well, mind you, I had just started learning how to play the piano, like formal lessons. But I, I so I had to I was the between the two of us I was the one who had more piano skills so he said well I guess you're the one who's going to be playing <laughs> so I, I spent a few months just trying to learn some things and you know uh, put my ear to the vinyl records trying and scratched a number of them trying to learn these songs part by part <laughs> and that's what just kind of grew me in my love of gospel music and, mm -hmm. and just uh, listening hearing you know a core I mean just all kinds of things there so uh, that's where the co vo vocal choral aspect of my uh, journey got nurtured in addition to being in choir in uh, high school. Gotcha. So, okay, shift to the units, Doc. Go ahead. It, it was the same I, for me. I played uh, sax uh, in the band in high school and uh, sang in the choirs in high school. And then um, my mother uh, nurtured me in, in that, you know, that scripture that reads, train up a child in the way she should go and when she's old, she won't depart from it. I was big time in sports. I have three brothers, most of my cousins were male. So I was on the basketball team, I ran track in the summers, I played softball on a, a team coached by my uncle. But my mom, she found um, a piano teacher and it was, you know, I, I, one of the stories I love to tell is that uh, in in uh, Lynette, I, we call where I live now Lynette, Alabama, but at the time it was Shamut and Valley, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And the races were still pretty divided. Uh, my father uh, was the founder of the NAACP in our uh, area. And so he was having 
uh, although there, that was quite a struggle with those who were not open to integration, mm -hmm. there were whites who were supporting it. And so there were, my family would get to have these events where the, 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 the races were coming together because my father in many ways uh, represented or was the voice for the, the African-American culture mm -hmm. uh, in the Valley. And so um, my teacher, her, I remember her name was uh, Mrs. James K. Bentz. And uh, she was a, a, a white lady and she taught me and my next door neighbor piano. Well, before that, we had a, an African-American woman who taught us piano, but she said, and I think this was like maybe sixth, fifth or sixth grade, somewhere along in there uh, when I started taking the lessons, but she didn't have a lot of training. So once she took us as far as we could go, that's when she said, hey, you need to find someone else. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we had to go to the white community. And I remember Miss Be Mrs. Bentz never told us that she had problems with her neighbors. Uh, you know, there were people threatening her family because she was teaching mm -hmm. these two black girls and two black boys as part of her. She had a large studio, but it, this this uh, her bringing these black kids into her home was quite an event and we never I didn't find out until she had died and her daughter told me wow. and so you know again it, it just shows you there are always good people uh who 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 are there to fight against uh what does not unite us and so we took I took piano throughout high school and then met uh, again and played for my church. Now I, I come from one of these little small rural churches, mm -hmm. little rural Methodist church. And my family was the backbone of this church. Okay. Mm -hmm. When the doors opened, we were there. Okay. <laughs> when they closed, we were there. When it was time to clean, we mm -hmm. were there. So my father's thing was, hey, if nobody's there, but you know, me, my mom, my, my three brothers and my grandmother, we're having church. My father was big on starting on time. Well, we had this pianist at our church and she, she would come when she came and often she would come late, but when she didn't come, I had to play. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about, as most of us done with William and his playing for his church and his community group, which was a gospel group. That's where I got my start. I, I would go to church. I, as a matter of fact, I would be so nervous to go to church because <laughs> I knew I, I could just feel in my bones. This woman was not coming to church and I was going out to play. Now, mind you, I didn't rehearse with the choir like William. I'm just learning to play. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, a number of years back, after we moved to Auburn, one of the members, I went to visit him. And I remember he said to me, I, I played for something. And he was like, Persephone, wow, you just come such a long way because when you used to play as a kid, we didn't know what you were playing. I said, I know, I will play the intro and nobody will come in. <laughs> it was just that bad, you know? <laughs> it was, I, I, I developed a fear from that yeah. because, you know, if, if, to not be prepared and know, know that nobody wanted you to play. <laughs> <laughs> when they became aware that this woman was not coming, everybody would just kind of look like, oh, well. <laughs> well, you know that she has come quite a long ways because you have heard her play in gospel choir when you were in the Auburn University gospel choir. You never would have known that was the case. Not just... Well, I know not off the off bat, but now that you're telling the story, it feels very, you know, you know, 
Right. You know, for you to, you know, this is our story, right? We come from these meager beginnings or whatever, these meager resources, and we have to make a way out yes. of no way. <laughs> Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. And so, and so much of it begins in the church. Right. That my singing, uh, I, I was thrown into singing solos in the church, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because back in that day, you know, at least before the 80s, um, it was still somewhat in the 80s and 90s. But back then, the community, the black community centered around the church. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. you learn how to speak in church. You learn right. how to sing in church. Mm-hmm. Everything that was the root uh, for for I mean, you even find in our secular artists, so mm-hmm. many of them right. cut their teeth singing in the, gospel in, in the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. And classical singers for that matter. Right. That's right. right. I'm so glad you said that because I was about to say, you know, I mean, it seems like every secular artist that comes up, if you start looking <laughs> at their biography or whatever, they'll say, oh, well, so-and-so started, you know, their music career singing solos in the choir in the church. Yeah. Uh, you know, you think of Tina Turner and how you know, that famous part of the movie where she, you know, supposedly got, you know, kicked out of church for being too secular or whatever. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, all these folks, you know, that they, like you said, cut their teeth. And I just, and so I'm getting, uh, if I had to guess, this is because that was all that we had, right? Is that why you think that that's how that we got there? Right. Well, just like what Rosephany was saying, it's it was, and it's hard today to um, capture the true essence of how the Black church was the community center because we are now these days very segmented and yes churches are still in existence there are a lot of things that go on in, in the black church uh, in, as well but uh, but the mindset in those days was I mean like all, any any community meeting anything happening the only pl- only place that we had ownership of was the church and so mm-hmm. and the biggest church in the community if it depended upon how much of a you know they was like okay we're going to meet at xx missionary baptist church or xx mm-hmm. you know uh methodist church because that was a place that could seat a number of people and we all had a common bond because we all knew the same songs we we knew right. uh we had shared experiences and when there was suffering when there was you know back in the earlier but- days can I add to that, William? Yes, please. Um, when you look at uh, up until probably the, I would say, late 90s into the 2000s, again, more people went to church mm-hmm. than do today. I mean, you mm-hmm. it, it was up in the 80 percentile. Mm-hmm. When you look at the, the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. when you look at freedom from slavery, all of these found their roots in the church Mm -hmm. because, and you have to remember back in the day, uh, you know, you didn't have as much technology. Right. So everything, you had to have a place where people could could come to find the news. Right. I mean, back in the day, you had three television stations, ABC, CBS, NBC, and public television. Mm-hmm. So you now people get their news, they get their experiences. Radio, you know, you had very few, few Black stations except in the major cities. Right. So people would get their music, then they would come and they would, that's why we learned to do everything by rote Mm -hmm. because it had to be done on site in that church. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's why, you know, people always say, you know, black folk don't go to church when it's raining, but that's part of a tradition that we, before we got cars, we walked everywhere. Mm -hmm. So when it rained, you did not come Mm -hmm. because you only had one pair of shoes that you, you, you worked in, you did everything. (laughs) And when those were worn out, you had one coat, 
So there were just, there are all these things that the, the church served to nurture us. It's, it's where people who didn't have food to eat, it's mm -hmm. where they got blessed with food mm -hmm. from other people in the church. Yeah, and right. that's the way the music uh, was developed for all of us right. as, as singing and performing artists that that the the gospel music you think about it gospel music came from the blues yes. thomas dorsey mm -hmm. well that was pop music but thomas dorsey's father was a pastor so his root was in the church mm -hmm. and then gospel music grew out of that and then from there you had gospel singing artists mm -hmm. that then became secular artists so that is why that is the root mm -hmm. because each one fed the other yeah right i love that so much mm -hmm. i love it so much and, and and so yeah, I love too this conversation because it's seamlessly bleeding into like leading into all the different questions that I have. So how would you, I like how you, you let's take it back a little bit further. How would you define and describe black spiritual music? Because I think what you were getting at just then was like kind of taking us in this direction. Well, and then uh, going back to slavery, when uh, the, the Negro spiritual, I'm using the historic term Negro spiritual. I know sometimes oh. if you use that, it you know can offend some people. African-American <laughs> spiritual, black spiritual, you know, you see all the names, even, you know, some historical writings have colored spiritual. So, you know, just all of the names that were, that we have been ascribed over the, over the uh, generations, the spiritual uh, that came out of the voice of the slave. And, and uh, again, those were songs that were transmitted by um, oral tradition uh, because we weren't allowed to read and write and, and those kinds of things, except for those who were able to, you know, get taught by uh, uh, someone who, who risked doing that. And so including, you know, whites as well as you know, blacks who had already learned. So we had the oral transmission of, of the spiritual songs like, um, uh, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, Swing Low Sweet Chariot, uh, those kinds of songs, then um, uh, that made its way into, uh, over time, like Rosephany already mentioned about blues, the secular, you know, sometimes blues is referred to as a secular spiritual, mm -hmm. because the spiritual was more of a mournful uh you know, sort of a song that, uh, you know, genre. And then, so the blues was kind of mournful because they, though they had been free, they, you know. Can, can I uh, take piggyback on with you on that, William? Mm -hmm. the, the, both the spiritual and the blues were songs that although you have the jubilee, which is, a, is, is you know, a, a happy, joyful spiritual, mm -hmm. the majority of the spirituals were expressing the experiences of the people at that time, the same way when William, I know he was moving towards the gospel music, but the, the, they, they call them many times slow and mournful mm -hmm. because they were a, songs. a, yeah, they, the sorrow songs, they were a, a commentary on the, the struggles of slavery. And when you come to the blues, as William says, the, the secular song, well, it, it too was an outpouring of the black man now that he's made it out of slavery. Yes. The struggles are still there, mm -hmm. finding a job, many migrating from the South to the Midwest or to the West or East Coast. Mm -hmm. When they got to those places that they considered to be the promised land, mm -hmm. they found a struggle. It may have been difficult. More, it may be different 
from slavery if they made their way to freedom like a Harriet Tubman or William Steele and others. But when they got to that, that new land, there were still struggles. So those spirituals that were sung on the plantation then made their ways to the north and freedom. Those blues were, they were, they were less, they were, they were both about what was happening personally and what was happening in life. Yes. So a blues talks about how you've hurt me and, 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 and now I'm so blue, but it also talked about how I can go work from nine to five, still making very little money. Mm -hmm. Each of those styles of songs were commentaries on what our struggles are. Amen. I just want to put that in as you move towards gospel, William. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's so, that's so significant. And, and, you know, you think about to the whole migration from the South to, you know, the promised land areas. I mean, the, you know, you have the, the, the bursting forth of the industrial revolution. So all these major companies were, were opening up and factories and that sort of thing, which provided opportunities. But again, um, <laughs> they were getting paid pennies pretty much a lot of them. And, and again, that led to the blues. And then, um, and, and during the whole blues, there, there was less focus on the church as much because they were trying to make it on their own, if you will. And then when they found that they were down and out, the church was still pretty strong. So they kind of found their way back to the church. And, and so you get gospel the expression of you the expression of those those uh sorrows as well as the joys and the hopes and uh and and we're able to identify the writers of those songs unlike in for the spirituals it was you know folk songs sacred folk songs where you could not identify the composer though there were composers you just couldn't identify who they were but because you know uh, more people were reading and writing we could identify the composers of the gospel songs, uh, very much connected to the spiritual. And so, um, and by that time, the God with the gospel songs, you, we, we have, we have black publishing companies, mm, that's right. uh, WC Handy and, and others, as a matter of fact, Thomas Doris eventually had his own. Mm -hmm. Well, by the, the reason too, I'm, I'm going with what William was saying, that train of thought of, the spiritual, there were no recordings. Right. All of this is passed along from one plantation to the next. Mm -hmm. Well, by this time you get gospel music, you've got recording companies, as well as you've got the printed music. You've got publishers like W.C. Handy and others. So now we can identify composers because they're selling this music. Right. And you've got, you've got Black people going to college now. Remember, the, by this time, the spirituals have, been, have gotten international acclaim for, by the, the Fifth Jubilee singers mm -hmm. and other singers at HBCUs. So these are now people going to college. They read music. They're singing classical music, but they're coming home and they're also singing their gospel. And so this gospel music is, 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 is which we call good news. Th these are now black people moving to the major cities. Hey, they're forming their own businesses. They're making their good, they're making their own money. They're buying houses, they're buying cars. And they're like, well, we, we're, we're tired of looking past to these sorrow songs in the old slavery days. Mm -hmm. We want to talk about how we're upwardly mobile. And, and so that's where we get the gospel music that, that then starts talking about the good things that Jesus has done and how we're so blessed. 
And so here comes a new movement that's very, very positive and became the musical, the, the, the musical strength of the civil rights movement. That's right, yeah. Which, just to qualify for a lot of folks, it didn't just start in 1955 or 1960 with Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. Uh, it, it goes way beyond that. We're right. Talking, these are like all kind of going, happening in tandem as early as the 1920s and 1940s. Right. So, yeah, all this stuff is happening. I, I just, I think, I'm so glad that they were having this conversation because I, and for people who are listening, I think hopefully it'll start to make some connections so they know all these things are happening at the same time, which made each thing possible, you know? <laughs> so um, thank y'all exactly. for, we got a beautiful little music history lesson just then. And I'm sure there's more uh, into it, um, but I want to kind of see, you know, you've talked about how in general, the music is very tied to our lives and and how historically it's kind of helped us get over. That's one of my favorite ones, how I got over. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. one of my favorites. Um, but at the, at, for people, the music is very, very tied to our livelihoods. But for you in particular, how has Black music impacted your lives? I mean, so you could have gone into, but I think both of your specialities or your areas of research interest are primarily Black music. So you, and you could have done you know, Verity or Bach or something like that. But like, what are, what are you, why, why did you guys choose to focus more so on Black music? I know that having gone to an HBCU or not just an HBCU, but, but a couple or so, but, um, uh, you know, me with Alabama State and Morgan State, there is a pride in the music of our people. And one of the, the, the things that, that we heard often was, well, if we don't champion it, if we don't preserve it, no one else will. Mm -hmm. And so, and again, that was back when we were in school. And, and, uh, and so we, we, we heard the call and we answered the call. We we're like, well, we're going to champion it. And we did, a, I mean, we had to do, and now this is before the days of the internet. So searching for information, mm -hmm. you had to dedicate a, 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 a day or two just to get about three or four resources. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I remember us traveling around to different libraries, different bookstores, you know, different record stores, trying to find a recording. And, you know, we, we had to set aside an entire afternoon just to find, you know, like here today, you go to YouTube and you find about 19 <laughs> good, good recordings of one particular song that you're looking for. Well, uh, we, we, like I said, we dedicated an entire afternoon just to find one recording, flipping through all those vinyl records in the record store mm -hmm. and hope to do that before they close their, the doors for business. But um but but so we but we 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 traveled that journey we we uh, and we were proud of it because it did speak of our our heritage we we saw uh we felt ourselves uh carrying the you know just being handed the baton from our teachers at the time and our our ancestors our, our parents and so forth and we wanted to further that because we saw the importance of it and and wanted to make make our mark doing so. And it was something that we had experience and have experience doing. And, uh, and so we, and again, having uh, grown through the HBCU, we were very, and are very proud of our heritage. And uh, it's just, it's, it, it's quite, a, quite a thing to see, uh, to search through and read through the names and just to learn about their lives mm -hmm. and, and, and all of that. And just to find out that they actually were real people with real struggles with, uh, you know, who faced all kinds of opposition. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, it's something that we were, we're both very, very proud of. Mm -hmm. 
Ms. Dodd, do you want to add anything? Uh, you know, only thing I will add is that, you know, so much of what William and I do um, is outside the black community. So we're at Auburn University, a, a predominantly white university and um, many places where we go to perform are predominantly white audiences, orchestras, um, singers. And we see this as an opportunity as he said, to keep the heritage of alive. There are so many from Asians to uh, Hispanics to whites, so many find themselves moved by music created by African-Americans, mm -hmm. but they don't always know how to interpret it. They don't know mm -hmm. how to stylistically perform it. And that's part of what we do is go out and while we're doing the music that is Eurocentric as well, mm -hmm. Uh, Eurocentric classical music. Uh, we're always programming music by African-Americans and just really trying to get other cultures and races to understand the depth. Mm -hmm. Many times they'll just see that our music emotes, it, it, it touches hearts. Mm -hmm. yeah. But we like for them to understand this is not music just for feel good. Mm -hmm. Uh, purposes. This is music that has a rich heritage and it, 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 it expresses more than the notes on the page or the, the notes and rhythms that you hear. It, it expresses life. And so we feel like uh, we've been blessed to be able to uh, perform, you know, much of our printed music and especially choral works. Uh, you know, around the world and, and helping others who want to understand it to experience it, experience it in a way that complements our culture rather than doing things that we find disrespectful um, and, and not in line with our experiences as African-Americans. Sure. Yeah, I'm so glad that you said that. That's something I completely forgot about is you guys do a lot of work internationally. And that reminded me, um, and I'm different parts of the country, but that reminded me of just, I remember, I think at one time I was looking for a popular gospel song on, on YouTube and a, a video came up and it was not us singing. It was, it was, I think it was a Korean choir. And you know, you might have had the, the video on mute, but if you unmuted it and you closed your eyes, you might have been like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> like, like you said, uh, a lot of people get into that, the styles and everything. Well, I'm so glad that you said that uh, you're out there advocating and letting people know that it's more than just the styles and the sounds. It's definitely connected to our hearts and the, the soul of the community for sure. Yeah, and, and uh, to that point, Gerald, the, we found that, and, and we've seen a lot of times the non American, non-African American singers tend to uh, capture uh, the music of, of African Americans, particularly gospel and spirituals, especially gospel, uh, a little bit better than some of uh, the local non-Black singers, mm -hmm. just because, because I guess because they're so, the non-American folk are so removed from it, they're studying it, they're really mm -hmm. listening, they're really mm -hmm. digging into it. And I think a lot of times, you know, as the scripture says, a prophet is without honor, except in his own country. And so uh, I think a lot of times, uh, and this is not an indictment, I think it's just, you know, just kind of, you can transfer this into a number of other things, but as it relates to music, uh, a lot of times we have stuff right in our backyard or back door 
and we take it for granted. Mm -hmm. and, and this includes African-Americans, because mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, you asked the, well, I'm, I'm getting ready to go on a tangent, but, but, uh, but and so, so, but like Stephanie was saying, you, you, we do spend a lot of time trying to, to show uh, singers who, you know, non-Black singers, some of the nuances mm -hmm. of, and the history and the context of, of our music. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and it, 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 it's not easy. It's, it's not oh. easy at all. Mm -hmm. But like you say, when you listen to like a Korean group or an Eastern European group, they have really studied it to the point that I'm like, wow, you know, they're, <laughs> they're all the way over there and they, they kind of get it, <laughs> get it a little bit better than those who are right here. Sure, oh, yeah. absolutely. And so this is, I mean, so I'm actually about to go off script because I, so one of my favorite operas, and maybe, I don't know, maybe this is basically, but it's probably just because it connects with me so much, is Porgy and Bess. And so while we're talking about this, I feel like you guys might be able to. Um, so, Porgy and Bess is written by Gershwin, two American white guys. Right. Right. Yes. But if you listen to, I mean, obviously it doesn't, I can't say it doesn't sound like quote unquote traditional black music, but some of the things, like the, the different techniques and like the sounds that they wrote is a direct, almost feels like copy and paste to something that you might have heard, you know, coming out of a, a old dirt road wooden church, you know, in the 1910s or something. Yes. Um, what do you guys thought on that? Like, I think, you know, Gershwin actually did a really good job in capturing, particularly my favorite is the, my man's gone now. Yes. <laughs> just like, and anybody, I haven't heard any bad version of that. And just the way that, that the emotion in that song is done so beautifully. Like, can you guys speak to that? I mean, I know this is kind of throwing, I'm throwing them for a, a loop here. This is not uh, any of the cur the questions that I had for them, but just kind of like, I don't know, just can you talk about that and how that works? You know, like, where did, how, how did Gershwin do that? <laughs> you know, like, well, you know, it's, it's, I think it's part of that, that question, um, oh, the word won't come to me now, that, that this debate that's going on in music about... Um, appropriation? Appropriation. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's really, you know, I, I was on a, a Zoom uh, interview uh, panel with uh, a particular opera star and some other uh, singers from... Uh, New York and they the whole question was you know when we're talking about diversity you know you've got blacks who are singing leads and if 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 if, if in a in an opera you know is it okay for blacks to be singing a role that was really the character is white or the character is Asian like mm -hmm. the Mikado and things of that nature and so mm -hmm. it came down to the question of the that was asked uh, can a white person sing in Porgy and Bess and so the, uh, the, I said, well, if we're, we're talking about diversity, I said, yeah. And so the blacks on the panel were really miffed. They were like, well, <laughs> this is our, this is our music. I don't want to see a white person singing in Porgy and Bess and they've got all the other stuff. And, you know, I said, well, we're talking about diversity here. And it's written by a white man. That's not our story. That's a, that's a white man's going into the black community, mm -hmm. hanging at, out at all the black clubs mm -hmm. with all the black musicians mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and basically stealing sure. and taking it back and telling us this is your story. Mm. And it just got quiet. 
I said this. I said, we think that's our story because those are the crumbs we had. Mm. When every, uh, yes, we have op other opera composers like William Grant Steele, and we've got even more contemporary uh, com composers, but our music, it's, it's, reason, it's really why the spiritual became so popular because the black composers couldn't get their music published, yeah. but they could get the spiritual published. Mm. And, and right here in Tuskegee, you know, William Dawson, he wanted to be known as a classical orchestral mm -hmm. composer, yep. but he couldn't get it. He couldn't get it published. Right. So when you had Porgy and Bess and it, it had these black characters in the story of, of black people. We we just were like, wow, mm -hmm. this is our story. And. It's, you know, I, I just told them, I said, I, I don't claim any, I mean, back in the day when I was in college, it was like, wow, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, poor and best, the black man's story. But then when I started researching and I was like, well, why, why aren't the William Grant Steele operas being performed? He's a black man. His music is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It was the white man's story about us. Mm -hmm that became famous and we have black people who composed operas that are phenomenal that you don't ever hear and they require black people to sing them mm -hmm. and here we all like crabs fighting over these these, these few roles in porgy and best mm -hmm. and yet we're not picking up that again our black composers who composed operas that can tell that story better mm -hmm. most of us don't even know them you're right. So there's some beautiful singing in Porgy and Bess, but why does it sound so black? Because he was hanging around black people, <laughs> mm -hmm. even in his sym symphonies, in his piano works, mm -hmm. you can hear the black colors and everybody thought this guy was so innovative, <laughs> just like so many of the white jazz musicians, mm -hmm. they were stealing appropriating our work mm -hmm. and we were not receiving credit and the very black people from whom they were stealing you don't know their names. Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you went there. I mean, because I mean, it it, make, it makes sense. Because I mean, I wonder. I I just I am so perplexed mm -hmm. at how again it is almost it is it is so it, is, it doesn't seem foreign to me. It feels very very familiar, and I often wonder just like how <laughs> how did he even do this? I mm -hmm. and I think I'm gonna have to how a different relationship with it now, especially so I need to know these other people you're talking about. These other um, uh, composers. And we're going to talk about that off off the, the air or whatever later. But uh, thank you so much for going into that down that road with me. Again, if you guys listen to Porky and Best, it is great. But now you have a different something to consider next time you listen to it. Now, and you know, you know it's not. And I'm not. I'm not speaking totally negative about sure. it because it has given African American performers. opera singers mm -hmm. performance mm -hmm. opportunities. I just put that question out to them because they were speaking uh, as if it was our music so white people couldn't touch it. And mm -hmm. I was just saying to them, no, 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 be very careful. It's mm -hmm. not our music. It's what's been told mm -hmm. was our music. And sure. if you come at it like that, you don't become so possessive about it. You actually, to some extent, might take a little offense <laughs> that it was yeah. stolen from us. And you, I mean, I don't know. No, especially even just in terms of the, the dialect that is, is written in. I'm just like, 
I can understand it from a historical point of view. Like, okay, yeah, this is cute, but also at the same time, like, why we got to sing? <laughs> well, you know, and, and even with some of the dialect, uh-huh. you can, I think you can tell it's some of the other composers like William Grant Steele and others, they were using dialect, but the way the dialect is in there, you can tell it was somebody who didn't you who wasn't in the culture mm-hmm. they just had heard the dialect so they were just throwing it mm-hmm. everywhere mm-hmm. wherein if it had been a black person who wrote it to me some of the dialect would not have been thrown about so strongly and so often because all black people did not speak Correct. that way mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely especially i mean I, we, we don't have this. Doesn't, this is not going to turn to a quirky and best analytical conversation. <laughs> but again, you know, it, it, it's supposed to take place in, in South Carolina. You, you have all kinds of cultures taking place in that, you know, co- coastal South Carolina, too, from yes. So you got the Geechee people. Where Come is on. that from? from right. you know? So, so again, just a quick little synopsis. Then we're going to move on. Porgy and Bess from the 1930s, 20s, and 30s about a small black community in South Carolina. Um, there's drama, there's death, there's relationships, there's all kinds of stuff. It's really good. Uh, but now you have this to chew on too. You, if, it's, you can definitely seek it out on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, so check it out. It's great, great music. It's on Spotify it too. Um, but yeah, chew on this too. So go listen to it and come back and listen to this and go back and forth and, and uh, let's let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, so getting us back on track. Um, so you talked about how you go off and you teach. So you're teaching obviously in the classroom and also just give a little bit of background folks. So I went to Auburn 2008, 2012 and I was tripping for whatever reason, I did not join the gospel choir until I think my sophomore year. <laughs> so I don't know what that was about. I guess I was just getting my feet wet. Um, <laughs> but I joined gospel choir under the direction of Dr. Powell and Dr. And Ms. Doc, Mr. Doc and Ms. Doc. Um, and it was such, it was like, the, I don't even know if you can call it a cherry on top. It was just a part. It was so involved in like mixing to my experience at Auburn mm-hmm. that it made it just so perfect and so amazing. I had a lot of, it balanced me out a lot. And mm-hmm. it was actually, I don't, I never told y'all this, but it fulfilled something that I was missing from home, you know, being on a predominantly white campus. Um, and then obviously I was going to a black church, but like I kind of bounced around to a lot of churches and then ended up primarily going to one church that was not, Primarily black. I'm not gonna say any names. Um, <laughs> and I was missing. And I grew up in the church. I I, grew, I was a musician. I sang in the choirs and stuff. And so I was missing that element from my life. And so I joined the gospel choir, and they welcomed me with open arms. And it was just the most incredible experience ever. Um, so that's how I got to know them. Um, but that's just what you did. That's just one. First of all, one choral class <laughs> that y'all taught. So outside, so tell us a little bit more about the things that you teach, but then outside of what you teach and outside of what you do when you're not on campus, what you do, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, there are a number of things. Stephanie made mention of, of uh, you know, doing other panels and uh, conferences and so forth. And uh, we have had the opportunity to go to different places, uh, such as, um, we were in Australia for the International Singers Melbourne, Melbourne International Singers Festival. Um, uh, and we were there for a, a short residency, I think, what was it, about a week, Rosephany? And so, um, and, and we've also done- For several years we did that, though. Yes, exactly. And then there was also uh, 
festival that we were part of in Italy, in Milan, Italy, uh, Federico, I can't remember the title of it, but that was that. Was that. And, 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 and uh, we do various choral festivals around the country. We'll be actually in uh, February, later in February, uh, we will be uh, doing a together at Colorado Allstate Choral Festival, and uh, and so and Rosephine does you know as a composer, uh, and, and I, she won't say this, and you might say this, but I will get ahead of both of you and say that Rosephine is uh, hailed as the most published African American female composer of choral music, and so uh, you know the very people that we were reading about in our our history books when we were undergraduate schools she's kind of now that person that people are reading yeah. about chapters in books and articles uh, are being written about her and about her music and so that's really really a blessing is really phenomenal and so because of that she does get invited to serve in a number of things just uh not long ago she was in dc for uh, as a guest composer guest artist narrator for the cry of jeremiah her multi-movement work mm -hmm one of her multi-movement work, excuse me, for uh, chorus, orchestra, and solo. And, um, uh, but just, just a number of things like that, a number of things okay. like that, that, uh, that get us around. And of course, because of the pandemic, there have been those mm -hmm. Zoom opportunities and, and Google Meet and so forth, mm -hmm. where uh, you, you get even more exposure than we did prior to having to get on an airplane <laughs> and travel <laughs> to these places. Right. And uh, one of the things too, this is a fun fact, Mr. Doc, you also work with the competitions at Disney or you have you used to work with competitions at Disney? Yes, uh, in fact, we both do. Uh, we okay. both uh, are, are uh, judges for Festival Disney and uh, we've done that for several years and uh, where we get to, you know, of course here, I mean, choirs come from all over and even some from out of the country. Mm -hmm. uh, and we get to, you know, not only listen to them and write comments for them, judge them, because it is a competitive uh, festival, uh, mm -hmm. but we also get to have a few minutes to work with them on stage. And it's mm -hmm. always so, so much fun when uh, the choir, especially when they are doing, uh, you know, speaking of Rosephine's compositions and they're doing one of her works and they don't know who the judges are and then if i'm the one that and if it's if, if it's a festival you know session where she's not there but i'm there and i'll get on stage and go okay and so uh you're doing this particular piece and i said well you know that's my wife and they're like oh you know they just gasp <laughs> like they just they, they they don't know what and then or and it's even you can only imagine what it's like when she herself stands up on stage and they you know working with the group and and they they just near some of them near about faint uh you know it's 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 it's, it's really neat it's really neat to see that yeah yeah so is that let's, let's go off of that. I mean, I wish y'all could see her sitting here <laughs> listening and she's trying to be all nonchalant. But I mean, just like you're glowing, like it's it's it's, it's such an impressive uh, uh, accomplishment for you know you to be hailed as such. So tell us how you got to this point in terms of writing, being hailed as one of the most published African American women in, in, in composition. Like, what? when did you sit down and say, I want, I want to write a song? Was it just like that? I want to sit down and write a song today. <laughs> you know what? That is so, that is so funny that you asked that uh, question, Gerald, 
and let me say before we go on, yeah, we you said we welcomed you with open arms to the uh, Auburn University Gospel Choir. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because you sang your behind. Yes, off. thank you, <laughs> we, thank you. When you came in singing like that, we were like, "What? Where have you <laughs> Where been? Where have you been? We need you. Yes. Come now. And don't graduate. So, oh <laughs> gosh, we hate it when you graduated. Yes. Oh my goodness, uh, boy, what a voice. Absolutely. Um, but you know, really. Um, Listen, I, I at one point, especially when I was in high school and my undergraduate degree, my whole desire was to be a gospel singer, mm -hmm. you know, but God had a different plan. Once I started studying classical music, uh, everybody around me was like, hey, you need to go in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm glad that he uh, that the Lord did that because um Th that would have been a wonderful experience, but I feel like he's, he's, he opened so many more doors uh, after, you know, going to school and learning so much about so many different types of music. Uh, it really broadened my vision for what, you know, we can do as African-Americans. Well, when William and I were first uh, teaching at Philander Smith College in around, at around 1993, William. Yes. Well, we, we were over this choir and the Philander Smith Collegiate Choir was really the ambassador for this particular United Methodist supported uh, HBCU. Mm. So we we eventually wanted to do a CD. But and this was actually before that. But we would go out performing and yeah, we wanted to do a C CD, but every company we wrote to try to get permission for the spiritual arrangements or the music by African-Americans that we wanted to perform, they wanted money for licensing. And we had and no money. We had no money. Okay. <laughs> this was going to be to raise, you know, scholarships and what we would sell yeah. at concerts. And so you would go and say what you said, because one day I'm, <laughs> I'm driving home and I say, I'm going to compose a song. And I go home, we had a little keyboard in one of the bedrooms of our apartment. And I had heard that if you're going to, if you're going to compose a song, you have, it's best to find something in the public domain. Mm -hmm. And the Bible is the public domain. Mm -hmm. So I sat down at, at the little keyboard in the bedroom in the, in the house. And, and I know it had to be God because I picked up the Bible and it fell open to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Nothing was made. He has not made. And I just start speaking that over and over. And all of a sudden, the rhythm of that song started to be composed. And I start. I told people, because I had this idea as I drove home, I didn't have any staff paper. So I pulled out some notebook paper, put a staff, you know, drew the five lines, put uh -huh. the treble clef and the bass clef. And the Lord just had this song to start being composed. And it was my first published work. And it became a, an immediate success. And I dedicated that work to my husband and his choir. And from there, after that, after everywhere the choir went, that song was just received with major applause. And so from there, you know, I have a great husband in that every time I would say, hey, I'm going to compose something new, he would let me try it out on the choir. And after a while, we just had a number of my works and, and I started submitting them to publishers and they started to be received. And um, the word was God when I submitted it, it and a, there was a spiritual we did as well. I want to be ready. 
And I submitted that song, which is a no-no, to 10 publishers and all 10 publishers wrote back wanting the work. And so I, when I wrote to them telling them, hey, I chose a different uh, publisher, I received nine nasty grams saying, we put effort, do never do this, do not do this again, you know, because you're a strong writer and we do not like to waste our time, you know, looking at a work that's been submitted somewhere else. But the reason I did it is because at Florida State, when I submitted a work to uh, a publisher based on uh, Rodney Eichenberger, a conductor who had heard that spiritual arrangement, he submitted it to his publishing company, Henshaw uh, Publishing, and it sat in a cabinet for three years. So I just said, hey, I waited three years, didn't hear anything back. This time, I'm going to submit it to 10 people. Surely <laughs> somebody would respond. And then there were 10. And came to find out that that publisher had either Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that we never heard back was because he had stuck it in a file cabinet with numerous other works, all of which had become successful with other publishing companies wow. because his sons eventually took over the company and they found all of this music that their father had put in in filing cabinets. Golly. What a story, huh? Seriously, <laughs> that's incredible. Wow, uh, but I yeah. get that, that you would send up your music. I mean, that's what people do now. It's like, you're trying to, you're trying to make something happen, like whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. You can't get mad. <laughs> well, Listen, but that's the rule now. They is. teach everybody to send to only one publisher, give them a few months. Then if you don't hear anything back, then submit somewhere else if you don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of, it, it's a crippling rule, but it is a, it is a rule. And, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So that I mean, so you talked about have I, I mean, I've heard that song. I didn't I don't think we sang it with y'all, but like let me find out that this was your song that I heard a long, long time ago. In the beginning, the word was Yes. <laughs> I think my sister might have sang that song actually. Wow. And that's why, I, I, so that's uh, my, my, a lot of my influence comes from my, my, my siblings. They go off to college, they do their things, they come back to practice something, I hear it. And so here you are full circle. I'm just now. <laughs> Listen, it happens all the time at Auburn. You know, the students will be here for years and, and uh, they'll, they'll mention to a friend uh, that, you know, a fr or, or that they are here or, and the friend or the friend will tell them, hey, I'm singing this work. And then they'll find out it's me, and the student will say, "Miss Da." And, like, <laughs> and then the student will write or come and say, "Miss Da, my friend wants an autograph." And I'm like, "From Dr. Powell? You want an <laughs> autograph?" And, and you know, because we we William and I, we just you know we just do our jobs here. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of students like yourself. They will have sung the word was God or or heard it in high school. And it will be, they'll be getting ready to graduate or they have left and they'll be like, that was you? Uh. <laughs> or there'll, there'll be another song. I had, I worked with you and somebody else had to tell me who you were. <laughs> and yes. see, it, for that reason, uh, you know, because when we first came to Auburn, we did not 
have a lot of well didn't have really any of Rosephine's works in the choral library. I didn't become director of choral activities at Auburn until 2007, and we came here in 2001. And and uh, and there was a, a work that uh, 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 our, my predecessor had commissioned from Rosephine for the concert choir that that uh, they did because he recognized the fact that you know she was a, a an internationally known composer. That was one of the things that uh, uh, attracted him to us to get us to come to Auburn. Smart guy. And, yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> and so, but uh, after he was no longer the chair and other others had filled that position, uh, we were encouraged to make sure that we, you know, offer a balanced uh, repertoire, balanced education and so forth. And so we, you know, had not gotten <laughs> full, full promotion and all that. So we were trying to be very careful about not trying mm. to uh, uh push the envelope. The mm -hmm. Yeah, didn't want to push the envelope there. But I mean, Stephanie has so many works and there's so many things. And I'm thinking after 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 a while and once once I got tenure, I'm like, no, we need and Stephanie was very shy about it. She was not pushing it at all. But um, I'm like, we need to if any place on the planet needs to have a library full of music by Rosephany Powell, surely it should be Auburn University. And so you. over yeah. the years, we've been ordering, you know, this, that, and the other, and by goodness, and it's only been like once or twice where we have even uh, sung through a, a one of her compositions to kind of field test it out before mm -hmm. uh, going fully published there but I, you know even that needs to be explored even more you know where she has uh compositions that she's working on and you know she's got a great ear so she can hear already what it's going to sound like before a choir actually sings it but it's just kind of good to have those live voices to hear it as you're working through it and so we've had probably a couple of opportunities to do that but i think i do think as i'm saying this <laughs> in live broadcast we we need to do more of that because uh, i think the students benefit from that experience as I remember some of the students did as we were going through you know and you know say well what do you think about this or does this work and they would all they would offer some really good suggestions like well this I wasn't sure if this is a, this note here doesn't really match you know whatever did you really mean to do this rhythm you know and so it's, it's very it was helpful and again like I say it's great a great experience for the for the students and I'm sure for Stephanie as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for giving us the backstory and for blowing my mind really quickly just then. Um... And that concludes the first half of my conversation with the Auburn University super couple, Dr. William Powell, the Charles W. Barkley Endowed Professor of Music and Director of Choral Activities, and Dr. Rosephany Powell, Professor of Voice and internationally acclaimed composer. Tune in later this week for the second half of this conversation, where we dig deeper into the Powell's music career and their unique perspectives on being from Alabama. This episode began with the song, I Want to Be Free, an original composition and performance by another one of the Powell students, Birmingham singer and lifestyle influencer, Shanice Nicole. This episode also contains the song Day Ahead by Joe Crotty. I'd like to thank the Alabama Humanities Alliance once again for their support of this season of the Higher Ground Society podcast. Be sure to check out the great work that they're doing across the state at alabamahumanities.org. 
Finally, I'd like to thank you, listener, for joining in with us on the conversation so far. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to be notified for future episodes of the show, including the second part of the Powell's conversation. Until next time, be easy.